Welcome aboard, Captain. Well, here we are again with another Bitter Drag Star Trek original series podcast. And I, I'm going to put the, po- the disclaimer, because I wanted to say this for a while. The following podcast contains explicit language. Well, come on, somebody say something. Fucking hey, <laughs> that'll that'll get me some audience. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just been listening to a lot of Slate podcasts, and so a bunch a bunch of them have that little disclaimer on them, and they say "fuck" <laughs> in the entire hour or something like that. Really? Huh. Interesting. The the culture ones have some swearing in them. The what ones? The Culture Gabfest podcast that oh. that Slate dot com does. Oh, okay. They're, they're, I, I highly recommend them, actually. They're really good. Hmm, okay. I'll spend the first five minutes of my own podcast plugging somebody else's. <laughs> no. no, the Slate ones are really good. The political one is, is definitely worth listening to, I think. Cool. And it's free. You just have to listen to them shill audible.com all the time. But mm. So I'm here in Minneapolis... Drinking my speaking of shells, I'm drinking my tasty Heritage Dr Pepper. You guys had any of that? Is that the kind that uses real sugar instead of corn syrup? Oh yes, Eric. That's exactly what it is. Is it in any way, other way, different from? I don't think so. I mean, on Heritage Dr Pepper. I mean, the can is really retro looking. Uh huh. And can you tell a difference in the taste? You know, it seems to me a little smoother. I. I mean, it's still regular Dr. Pepper, but... Yeah. It has this... Uh, it doesn't seem to have as much of a... But the sweetness doesn't stay in your mouth as much. Oh, okay. I don't know. I might be making it... If somebody put them side by side I, and didn't tell me, I'd probably not be able to identify the difference. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they've got this, and then they've got the, the Pepsi and Mountain Dew throwback sodas. But... It's kind of nice to have the the buzz of real sugar. Mm. Do they still the sell? Uh, yeah, they still sell caffeine-free Dr. Pepper. Anyway, um, I only see the diet version, caffeine-free. Oh. Doesn't mean there isn't such thing as regular. It seems to vary depending on what your local Dr. Pepper company does. Mm-hmm. So it you know, product may vary by market. So are you decaffeinated, Rob? Uh, basically, yeah. Yeah, I am too. Last time I got, I think I had some Mountain Dew, <laughs> fully fully leaded Mountain Dew, all the caffeine, all the sugar. A while back, God, was I wired. <laughs> you gotta start small, Eric. Come on. <laughs> oh shit! Oh, I could have just gone for Jolt. That's like when yeah. that's like when Scott. Speaking of Scott Tissinger, that's when Scott, uh, like Scott, has uh, comes over to, for the night with a you know giant double latte or something like that, and he's just bouncing off the walls for hours. I mean more so than usual. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. So tonight, of course, we've got as you've already built. Not that anybody's listening. <laughs> So, but, okay, well, but, I'll just fuck oh, off then. But Eric, Eric and Madison, <laughs> Rob in Chicago. Hey. So, here we go. Good Eric. evening, gentle listeners. 
tonight, of course, we've got Friday's Child. It was full of woe. <laughs> yeah. So, let's see. Uh, th this this one was interesting coming off of uh, Journey to Babel, which had a had a strong political slant to it. Th this one actually had you know. It was I think I'm sh I'm sure Rob will agree will has some fun social political angles to it. It's kind of yeah we're back in the Cold War. In we this we are in it you know knee deep in this one. It's it's the like interventionist Star Trek model, right? Which is a lot of fun. I I actually enjoyed this one more than I expected to. I I had kind of a negative image of this one for some reason. I hadn't seen it for quite a while. And it's it, it was generally pretty fun. There there were some things that really bugged me about it, of course, but really not too bad. How about you guys? Uh, I just uh, watched it actually about an hour ago, um, and uh, I don't know. I feel kind of apathetic about it. Mm -hmm. it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful either. <laughs> I watched it with great apathy. <laughs> <laughs> I. I enjoyed it. I had a similar reaction to John. I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. And um, I think I also had, for whatever reason, had a negative association, probably from childhood with all the um, all the birth and baby stuff. I probably yeah. thought was boring. Um, but there's a lot of other things in this episode that are aimed right at the, the little boy demographics so well it, you know uh, you know actually Rob, this kind of surprises me in a way that we would and i think we we're, were both on the same track on this one that we'd look at it this way from our nostalgia lens but that there's actually a lot of fighting in this episode yeah there is and and that's uh and that's something that i you know maybe because the space fight is is kind of a letdown maybe that's why it gave it a black eye for us Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, just a just a just a thought. I had well, I had apparently forgotten that it it was such a letdown that they they were building up this confrontation with the Klingon ship, and then they they didn't even show it. Yeah, it's all off screen. Uh, yeah, it's all off screen, and we we don't even really know what happened. Um, but yeah, but I had forgotten. So uh, watching this episode again, I thought, oh great, there's going to be a space battle with the Klingon ship. Of course, I was disappointed. Yeah, yeah. I, it's and let, let's segue to the Klingons real quick. I'm I'm just kind of jumping around here tonight, but and it occurred to me that this far from the first appearance of the Klingons is uh, to me is a you know a real uh, ne negative view of the Klingons as as villains. The the Klingon we see is this Weasley kind of, you know, let down of a character. I mean, yeah, he, he's, he's you know, he talks about evil stuff and, you know, and all that, but I, I think of how, how different the Klingons are handled in the in the later Trek canon, you know, with honor and all that stuff. And, and this guy is this, you know, is this corrupt weasel, basically. Yeah, or even in the, um, the first episode that they're introduced, um, which is... Aaron of Mercy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and of Mercy, they're they're a lot more interesting and, and yeah. compelling. 
And this guy, I'm like, I was thinking, this is the dude that the Klingons send to secure these mining rights? Is this balding, yeah. pudgy, middle I, mean, I mean, physically, he's not at all in, impressive at all, and and he's just he's 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 a weasel bureaucrat. Who okay, yeah, he backstabs and stuff, but otherwise he's not. And and of course, the 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 same thing is repeated in space when you know they basically chicken out, which is another thing that you don't think of the Klingons doing is running away. <laughs> no, I mean when you um, after all the cat and mouse the, they do after all the the other face to face appearances. I mean, you consider um, especially uh, both Core and Errand of Mercy first season, Kang third season in um, Day of the Dove, the Dove, and then um, Koloth and Trouble with Tribbles, which is coming up. And I think that's yeah, even even the guy in Tribbles it. is more impressive than this guy. Yeah, and but in particular, Core and Kang are you know they're they're ruthless, but they're honorable and and noble in their own ways, particularly Kang. Yeah, I I, th- I think. Uh, is I'm not sure I'd paint him with the honor brush as much, but he, he's definitely uh, fairly imposing and and very tough. That I mean, yeah, I mean, and, why aren't they why didn't they say him? <laughs> yeah, so I, the Klingons I, don't come off very well at all in this episode. I mean, they're, they're as an adversary that they, they kind of fall down. I suppose that as far as the story goes, it would have been. Difficult to resolve the Capellans uh, waffling between the two, the Federation and the Klingon Empire. If uh, if the Klingons had if the Klingon representative had been Core, for instance, or what you know another similar character. Yeah, that, that's then true. how that that's true. Yeah. Although um, I don't, it's just it's hard for me to you know it, it stretches credibility that they would even consider talking to this clown. Yeah. But yeah. Then again, you you could argue that Core would wouldn't bother negotiating and would have would have just walked in and I mean these guys wouldn't have been very hard to you know decimate with some guys with phasers. Yeah, that's um, that's a good point. It. It actually seems uh, quite out of character for the Klingons to even bother with diplomacy because, I mean, as has been amply demonstrated and will be amply demonstrated in later episodes in the movies, they they don't. Unless the Klingons are unable to because of the Federation's presence. Well, it occurred to me that maybe, again, none of this is portrayed in the episode, that this this planet might fall in a, either in a disputed area or maybe it's within Federation space and they're just not a Federation member world or something. Yeah, the Organian Peace Treaty probably is in effect. It's undoubtedly in effect at this time. And so... Yeah, maybe they, yeah, maybe they that was the only way they could do it, but... Mm. Yeah. But I, I think in any case, yeah, they they they, they weren't very impressive. And, and the, 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 the guy playing... The, the Klingon also was, was particularly lame. Yeah. I wonder who that was. Hold on a second. So it's kind of interesting that, um, as long as I'm harping on stuff, the the woman who plays um, 
what's her name? You know, the the wife. Eileen or whatever. Yeah, she she is. It seems like she changes her acting style halfway through the episode or a third of the way through. You know, she she's just kind of uh, you know speaking in very plain English, and then she starts, you know, ma'akoi, uh, talking like a like a savage or something that can't quite speak English. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, that that kind of bug. It seemed like wait, you were you were kind of talking you know, normally and everything, and, and now now you're somebody who can't quite speak the language. Oh, yeah, um, this broken you know diction. Yeah, it's a problem of conveying difference, you know, cultural differences, um, while at the same time trying to make the characters be, you know, uh, convincing, worthy adversaries, and, you know, it's hard, it's a hard line to draw. Oh, I, I definitely, uh, my, my main complaint just is that it isn't very consistent with, with the way that the actress does it. Yeah. Um, not a huge yeah. deal, just nitpicking that one. Just a, an in, a little trivia note about uh, Julie Newmar. She was one of the uh, actresses to play Catwoman on the incredibly campy 60s Batman series. Yeah, I, I definitely recognized her name in the credits. <laughs> yeah. One other thing uh, that I noticed about um, the Klingons, just to go back to them real quick, was I don't think at any point they... Uh, mentioned the Klingon's name. It was always Klingon. They just they just called him Klingon. I think you're right. I don't remember a name either. Huh. And it was, uh, you know, I, I was thinking that yeah, it could have been to depersonalize him in particular and Klingons in general, or. Denigrate them maybe a bit, but um, actually, I don't think they used called Kirk by name either. It was always Earthman. So, in uh, the Memory Alpha summary, the Klingon is called Press. I, I see uh, that, yeah. Uh, but I don't think they ever mentioned that in the the episode. I don't remember him. Huh. I mean, it came from a novelization. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it was probably from the script. Actually. Is that canon? I don't know. Of course, I I love the opening scene where they're uh, not the opening, but the right when they beam down to the planet, and, and right off the bat, red guy gets killed. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you expect? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was. Oh, they they did address it. You know, Kurt said that he was inexperienced. Yeah. Inexperienced. Um, but I, I guess my, I mean that all. I, I think that was, you know, good to get get things moving and, and raise the stakes. Um, but I was a little unimpressed by the the beginning where Kurt, where uh, McCoy is talking about how how the Compellens Compellens are such great fighters and they have these throwing stars that are. Just as deadly as a phaser. Yeah, that's um, kind of funny. <laughs> it's, it's kind of hyperbolic, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Why um, do you think that? Well, because I mean, obviously, a phaser can do a lot more damage than a 
or throwing star ninja star. Um, well, I think what he may have meant was just that you know, at what did he say, a hundred yards, it, you know, they can kill just as effectively or certainly as at a distance. Phaser. But yeah, I mean, you can't disintegrate somebody with a over overgrown throwing star. Right, and if the Capellans are so tough, why is Kirk able to dispatch them with those, basically with a single blow? Um, yeah, I, I, that's one thing that I noticed about throughout the episode that you know there were as quick as they were to kill. Um, I noticed several instances where both Kirk and Spock should have been dead. But, uh, yeah, anyway. well, and, and the the whole bit about the the uh, Capellans being, you know, brutally br- brutally honest and honorable and all that that kind of thing, and but but actually, I'm you know, they, at least if you believe the way that Mob, the guy who takes over, operates, not so much. They're 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 pretty much willing to bend things to get what they want anyway. Well, and, you know, um, if they're so uh, compulsively honest, later in the, uh, toward the end of the episode where Elien um, knocks out McCoy and takes off mm-hmm. and returns to the camp, she blatantly lies. Yeah, she completely lies. Of course, that, you know, the interesting thing there is you could maybe put in this in a very small character redemption arc, but... That he, he 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 believes her and sends her off. Yeah. And and then once once you know, it, things turn around. He uh, does the right thing and sacrifices himself. Yeah. I actually kind of like that that part. I thought that was that was quite effective. Where the T er, um, where where basically he just goes. Yeah, I fucked up. Uh, I'm gonna have the Klingon shoot me. <laughs> how did how um how did he fuck up? I guess I don't quite see that. Um, didn't he basically um botch botch the whole? I mean, by trusting the Klingon and all that, and like, oh, he, he I made see. bad judgment, and and that's that was apparently what he felt, and and also that he he was apparently. Giving his life in to to let Elian live. Oh right, yes, okay. Yeah, you know, basically though, I was not a very good leader, so I'm gonna let Klingon boy shoot me. Right, and thereby distract him so that another one can nail him with their pliga. Uh, That's what it's called. Ah. And. Looking at the picture here on the website reminds me of of how goofy the costumes are in this in this one. Yeah, it looks like some throw throwback or uh, cast off uh, Renfest type stuff. Yeah, yeah, they really do look thrown together with odds and ends, don't they? Yeah. Well, that's probably because. <clears throat> They were. <laughs> Most of the special effects and costumes were thrown together from odds and ends. Yeah. Yeah. So, Rob, did you take the, the, the Capellans as being kind of American Indian tribe that, 
you know, all that kind of thing, or, you know, Southeast Asian, or, <laughs> you know, if you want to put it in real-world terms here. You know, I didn't think that specifically uh, <clears throat> about an analog for the, the Capellans. I, you know, I thought they were, I thought they were interesting um, species. You know, I, I, I thought culturally this episode shows you some interesting things about them, but they, you know... They resolve everything through combat, um, and you know they respect warriors and um, patriarchal above all, all else, of course. Yeah, above that. And then, of course, by the end, there's some, as usual, the Enterprise. The the Americans have have civilized the savages, um, and they wind up putting a woman in charge. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> radical ending in some ways. <laughs> um, so it's well, always... now, now we don't know that that's the case because who knows whether or not there's a precedent for um, a mother ruling as regent for a infant. Okay, T-er. that's true. T-er. Yeah, that's a that's a possibility for sure. I I, I find kind of a mix. I mean, they they definitely were trying to not have them just be another it's like okay in the in the old movie world this is you know these are this is the either the the Indian tribe or the uh, you know the the cannibals on the island or whatever but it they all but some of the the ways they portrayed them also seemed a little bit thrown throwback that way like the 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 music and things like that with the little exotic flourishes and things like that it it had a very conventional Field. So it's like the, these are the primitive but honorable, the noble you know, the, savages. The they live in tents and all that kind of thing. You know, I don't, uh, I didn't see them so much as analogs to the Native Americans. Um, thought more maybe like the tribal European Celts or um, um, yeah, that that's. I think that's the closest thing that I can, or the closest analog I can think of. Of course, the ancient Celts were matriarchal, not patriarchal, but either way. Yeah, as usual, I'm sure it's the the it's written with with a number of things in mind that are melded together. Yeah, and of course, you, you throw in this you know this resource that both sides want, and and that become that that shoots you back into the you know, but usually the 20th century political situations you know it's funny that we should be talking about this uh, given that we were also just uh, before starting the podcast we were talking about Avatar <laughs> yeah because it's I mean that's very much a plot element in Avatar too without giving too much away oh I, I pretty much know what goes on in it so. yeah I, you know, have you seen I, it I don't think I need to even no I it. haven't seen it are you going to uh, uh yeah well, yeah, next I, I haven't see seen it. it either. Probably by the next time we we get to our next one, I'll probably have seen it. So maybe we'll we'll have a, a brief rundown on it. Okay. Because our listeners would love to know what we think of it. <laughs> of course. Of All course two or three of them. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it the. As a, a stupid trivia note, this this was the first time I'd ever heard the expression "fool me once, shame on you; fool me twice, shame on me." Hmm. 
back, I mean back, you know, not not tonight, but as a, as a kid, that was that was where I was exposed to that expression. It may have been for I, me too. I don't know for sure. Until George, yeah, George until George Bush, of course. Oh, <laughs> it left. A, I remember it left a big impression on me that Scotty saying that. Yeah, well, I always remembered that. It's a yep. good Scotty episode. He, we get to see his shrewdness. See his the way that he commands the Enterprise. Yeah, we saw that in Metamorphosis. Both uh, he he gets yeah. he gets something to do besides. Yeah, he actually out, out got to a few times. I was trying to remember uh, Taste of Armageddon. He was in command there for a while too. Um, so yeah. Yeah, that's always fun when they they let him do that. Um, just as another, if if you're interested, another little uh, trivia note: the title comes from an old English uh, nursery rhyme that dates back apparently to 16th century, at least, maybe even older than that. But um, it it talks about uh, the the nursery rhyme is supposed to indicate what kind of luck a child will have based on the day of the week the child was born and it goes Monday's child is fair of face Tuesday's child is full of grace Wednesday's child is full of woe Thursday's child has far to go Friday's child is loving and giving Saturday's child works hard for a living but the child who was born on the Sabbath day is bonnie and blithe and good and gay so I guess it was Scottish but um I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, what is the what do you, what do you think the title refers to? Does it refer to the the, the baby that's born during the episode, or is it? Um, I don't know. That's for some reason I always kind of thought it was referring to Elian, but that wouldn't really fit with it. Maybe it I, maybe it refers to McCoy. Um, is this all? Is also a big McCoy episode. Yeah. Really, you know, it's it's about his um, the way that he teaches Elian. Um, and his, you know, his patience. I also think it's interesting that um, even McCoy when he smacks her across the jaw, smacks her across the face. <laughs> yeah, that. Um, That he does it, you know, I think because he realizes that's the only way to reach her, that he's aware of the cultural, you know, norms, and that he he, he realizes that's what he needs to do. Demonstrate, demonstrate his uh, machismo. Yeah, to take charge, yeah. And that, that made, a, made an impression, obviously. So I'm, I'm going to bring up the, you know, the, the one issue that stuck out also is uh, the Prime Directive or lack thereof in, in this episode where um, first of all why you know why isn't it brought up <laughs> well I think that the, the reason for that is uh, the Prime Directive applies in cultures that haven't been contacted yet so you think the, these guys were contacted before the Prime Directive was put into place no I think that First contact had been made at some point for some point before 
apparently for a while because I mean McCoy was part of a scientific party that lived with them and studied them. What? So, so apparently, if the Prime Directive was in place, why would they have made contact with this primitive culture? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're. I mean, it's established that I mean the Federation has um, first contact procedures with alien cultures and. You know, they, for whatever reason, you know, they may decide to make contact. And It's interesting, though. Yeah, I, obviously we don't know what the, the background is. I, I could see them breaking it if they thought, well, the Klingons are going to come in and negotiate with them, so we don't want to let them be the first, you know, extraplanetary group they talk to. Yeah, but obviously they've had some contact with this world for some time. It, it just right. seems to go against what I think of as the prime directive and first contact that they uh, they don't they uh, because often and maybe I'm thinking about more about next gen where they use all this rationale is that they don't you know it's like oh we don't think your world's ready yet or you know that kind of that kind of thing. And you know without knowing the the background or you know the fictional background. Of- about why they were originally contacted, it's really impossible to say. Mm-hmm. There is also and, the the important mineral exception to the Prime Directive. Right. Yeah, which most people aren't aware of. But yeah, speaking of uh, Americans, <laughs> that uh, that corollary to the Prime Directive under filed under Make a Buck. Yep. And of course, it, they correctly pointed out in the the, the memory alpha bullet points that uh, Kirk Kirk is definitely interfering by by uh, you know uh, interfering with the succession of their of the compelling leadership. Yeah, that's true. I mean, how is he interfering with with the succession? Well, because um, she the, the mother would have would have been put to death. He intervened. Yeah, I mean that was a really reckless act, wasn't it? For him to intervene that way. Yeah, I mean, well, he, he probably it, thought she was hot. Well, it, it it's like you know, oh, this hot chick is gonna get executed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, and of course at the you know right when it happens, there's this oh shit. <laughs> you can kind of see uh, you know Spock and McCoy just going. Now you've done it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's. De- I mean, it, it's a it, it's a great dramatic thing, obviously, and bit necessary the way the story is set up. But it's interesting that that's not not even meant. The prime directive isn't mentioned once. Yeah, it's like Kirk answers to a higher authority than the prime. But directive. at least somebody usually reminds them that he did it. <laughs> And he's interfered. It's like, oh, you know, you just violated the Prime Directive. I know, I had to. <laughs> well, the Prime Directive, maybe it's once there's been contact and... Oh, that doesn't matter. Well, see, that... that... The Federation the Federation, and, and the clans are already involved, then, yeah, maybe, you know, all bets are off. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at, and it's not a matter of all bets being off, but more that... Um, uh, once you've established diplomatic relations and, um, you know, there's going to be some kind of um, 
some kind of relationship between the Federation and this civilization, then um, then how they deal with them undoubtedly is going to change because the, the Prime Directive has more to do with not um, exposing uh, a virgin culture, so to speak, to the fact that, you know, actually there are other civilizations out there and mm-hmm. and the more advanced technology and so on and so forth. Now, I, I, a part of the reason I'm harping on this is because the other night um, one of the TV stations here is running Next Gen. And I happened mm-hmm. to catch one of the pretty awful first season episodes. And it's I don't remember the name now, but it's it's this one where... Yeah, you know, they go to this planet of very peaceful people, and Wesley falls in a flower bed and is sentenced to death. Yeah, remember that one? I remember that. Okay, one. and yeah. that, I mean it's a big Prime Directive episode where you know they're if they if they take Wesley away and prevent his execution, they break the Prime Directive. Right. And that's obvious. And, and they're obviously a yeah they're not they're not you know Capellans, but they're also obviously not. It's implied that they don't have the technology that the Federation plants do. Right. But I don't remember exactly why they were down there hanging out with them. <laughs> there is contact. Yeah, they yeah. had contact, obviously, but it's uh, so that that, that kind of flew in the face of what. Well, they do say at. I remember there's an episode, an episode of Voyager, where this is actually addressed by good old Captain Janeway who talks about the original series days as being more fast and loose with the rules. Yeah. Oh, I think that's true. I, I, I just, you know, I'm saying, well, yeah, I think I do think Kirk probably broke the letter yeah, of the Prime <laughs> Directive. Well, yeah, and hardly for the first time. No, but no, you, I mean, yeah. it, that's, it's a repeating pattern, but yeah, yeah. I just, it, it's kind of, uh, it would have been nice to, of them to stuck a sentence of dialogue in to acknowledge that. Yeah. Not that I would deny Kurt the character from doing this. <laughs> Part of his makeup. <laughs> Just like his toupee. Yeah, speaking of toupee, Chekhov had another beetle wig in this one. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> so stupid. It wasn't so quite so out of control this I, time. I think they cleaned it up a little bit for this one, but he, he still had one. Did, did either of you watch the special... Or enhanced version. No. What were the differences? Um, you know the main thing besides the usual Enterprise and Planet shots, they the, the Klingon ship. They I think they made it vaguely look like a standard Klingon ship instead of this little square blob. Mm-hmm. Which it, they 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 don't show it very close. It it's not really doesn't make a big difference. And the the little graphic on. Uh, where Chekhov's watching the radar screen or whatever looks a little more impressive. Notice during the the red alert that at Sulu Station this little viewmaster thing comes yeah, out of it. Uh, haven't you ever oh. seen that before? No. Oh yeah, they happen that- a number of times. Yeah, but usually when they go into battle, that thing with this little grinding, whining noise comes up out of the console. Yeah. I thought that was so that? cool. That's like a little targeting thing or something, I think. Oh. Yeah. 
Why have I never noticed that? Oh, I don't know. I, I always love that thing. Yep. Gets his own little Spock viewer. I mean, I think overall this episode is... I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff in it, and it's... DC Fontana really is... Her, her talent is that she can really strike the, a balance between the, all the different elements that make Star Trek good. You know, the, the combat, the, the dynamic between Kirk and McCoy and Spock, um, the, the Cold War metaphors, you know, but also the, the, the character, you know, the character arcs and character development. And, and also something that, you know, bring, seeing the McCoy as this nurturer, too, is something that we don't see as often, um, which she brought to this episode too. So that's it. It doesn't. I think she, there's almost too much going on in this episode, which is probably why we have things like the disappointment of the no battle with the Klingon ship. Um, yeah, and the ending feels a little forced too, uh, with the standoff. Um, you think so? Well, I don't know. I I. I mean, why does Kirk, with if if the Klingons and and um, Mob are already, if, if the Klingon and Mob are already in conflict, why does Kirk jump in and and shoot an arrow at the Klingon? If because he wants to kill the Klingon. Well, he he wants to kill the Klingon, but why? But what's, what would be, what's the point of it? Because he's a deceitful little turd. Well, that, of course, at that point, <laughs> yeah, the Klingon doesn't have the phaser yet, so he's not much of a threat. Oh, that's true. Well, well and I guess it would have made more sense for Kirk just to let... I mean, once the Klingon demonstrated his deceitfulness, you know, the Capellan leader, whatever his name was, was going to kill him, so... Yeah, definitely. It's Ma'ab. <laughs> Ma'ab, that's right. And Akar. Yeah, he's the one who... They're the first one who got killed. The mob killed. Yeah, the the old guy with the, the 20-year-old wife. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yes, indeed. Well, do you guys have anything else for this one? Um, We didn't talk about uh, Misogyny Corner. Ah, uh, Misogyny Corner, yeah. Well... I, I, of course, I'm sure a defense of that in this particular episode is that they're portraying a primitive society. Yeah, that's a pretty good defense. It's one of those okay. ones where I, I tended to not be quite as critical on that on that score because it's not the misogyny didn't really extend to you know quote modern women. Well, and as you pointed out, John, that uh, Elian actually. Redeemed her character, to a certain degree at least, there toward the end, because she took the initiative and... Well, sure, um, after the you know, influence of our, our modern heroes. Oh, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but she had to be shown the way by our superior culture. <laughs> okay. And, and, of course, the whole business with, uh, like, oh, you touched her and the next male relative has to challenge you to combat and all that. I mean, that, that, yeah, that's right out of the the primitive culture book. And it's uh, and 
you remember what McCoy's uh, explanation of that was? That they Consider it enjoy more fighting more than sex? Yeah, they they more pleasurable than... than, 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 than did he say sex? Well, he said love. Oh, love, okay, but, but yeah, then he meant, meant That sex. was their metaphor euphemism for sex. They'd, they'd, they'd rather you know, ro- roll around in the dirt. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, basically all the warriors are gay. Oh, mm, okay. <laughs> there is an undercurrent of homoeroticism in this episode. Everything from the costumes to Yeah, that's the... that, that's true, you know. They're 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 all kind of flamey. The, Interesting the that you should uh, notice that so assiduously, yeah, they're Rob. I don't have a, I'm comfortable with my You're confident that there's anything wrong with that. Yes. That's okay, course. Rob. You're you're among friends. That reminds me, I, the, the other night, the, the the gay episode of Seinfeld was actually on TV. I've never seen that. Are you serious? Uh-uh. Oh, I, that, I don't know what it's called, but it, it it's the, not that there's anything wrong with that episode. Oh. Right. Where, 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 you know, some reporter gets the idea that George and Jerry are, are a gay couple. Oh. It, it's a really, really funny episode. I hadn't seen it in years, and it's 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 one of my favorites, actually. I think it's great. Huh. Very, very funny. Now, definitely, if it's on Hulu or something like that, go go watch it. Yeah, um... Never watched Seinfeld much. I, I you know, I know everybody loves... Loves Seinfeld. Or most people... Most people or, you know, everybody watched it, but every, people tend to kind of diss it now, but... I I, th- I think it's brilliant. Well, maybe you should uh, Netflix it and. Yeah, give it a shot. The first season kind of starts out a little slow. It's not. Mm. It doesn't quite get the writing exactly right. But once it gets going, it, it's. I think it's great. The 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 cast is, is just fantastic. Hmm. Cool. And as I've said several times, it has a. I, I in my opinion, a great finale episode. Okay. And if you watch more of the series, I think you'll appreciate the way they resolve the show. <laughs> okay. But anyway, I didn't mean to turn this into a Seinfeld cast. <laughs> um, do we have any anything else? I think I've... I, I need to sign off pretty soon as I, I want to... I, I, I got uh, Logan's Run on Blu-ray from uh, Netflix today. Oh, wow. And Excellent. I haven't, cool. I haven't seen it in a long time. I wanted to give it a shot um, I watched it not too long ago and you know that would actually be uh, that would be a fun one to do a podcast about because uh, that that's one, uh, that's a uh, definitely a classic sci-fi movie and there are some really interesting you know the whole socio-political thing going on there it's yeah, the mm-hmm. ideas are really interesting. I, I I tend to think of it as being kind of early seventies go go dated, but well, and, you know, in the special effects and some of that, um, and some of the trappings, yeah, it's uh, it's somewhat dated. Well, that that, but, that um, has never stopped me before. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Well, I think that wraps it up for this episode. I I'm, I'm sure our next. Star Trek entry, which is the Deadly Years, will have a lot of good jokes at our own expense. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> the, 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 the getting old episode. 
But it's an episode, not an, not an. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, that's. I, I'm thinking about trying to get Lee in on that one because that that's the infamous Spunk. <laughs> oh yeah, you have to. I, I, I will invite Lee to to participate in our next one, even though it doesn't really fit good. his, you know, criteria for being a, an awful or or great episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> But I, th- I think I think we'll have to make an exception for that one. So sounds good. Yeah. Other than that, I, Rob, I, I haven't seen Moon yet, but I'm gonna try and see it soon. Oh yeah, you should. I, I, it's it's a, on my queue, and I, I, I definitely want to see it. It's a, it's different. It really stands out. Yeah. Did you read that Bro, that review I I sent you? Foibles. Yeah. 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 It. And this this guy, I, I, I his he, he's a I mean he's a real sci-fi film aficionado, and his uh, I, I I usually agree with him on at least on that genre. Did you uh, send that to me too? Yeah, I thought so. Maybe you did. And it's it's also it's also I I believe it doesn't have any spoilers in it. So mm. uh, yeah, give it a read. I think it's pretty pretty good take. Oh yeah, I I remember. I remember that. It's the um, DVD savant review. Yeah. yeah, you know the. I remember there were some reviews that uh, likened it to 2001, and uh, personally, I just I don't. It doesn't. See it that. sure doesn't seem that way to me, just from what I've heard about it. No, I'll be interested to see what you you think, but it's um, it's interesting and it's well done, but it uh, it is. Not even close to being as profound or far-reaching as well. That, that's what it occurred to me is that any comparison is 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 really on a superficial level. You know the the, the, yeah, the I, okay yeah there's some isolation you know the the human interacting with the artificial intelligence and all that but right and and you know it, in tone and even in um, cinematography and set design I can see where you could uh, where there's some uh, some common ground there, but mm-hmm. that's really as about as far as it goes. As far as I'm yeah, concerned, yeah, it, it's a pretty again pretty inaccurate look. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'll definitely uh, I'm gonna try and see that soon, along with mm. the uh, the CG epic. So, how uh, yeah. Eric? How was the 3D? Was it really cool? Uh, it was. Um, it was pretty good. It was uh, uh, it wasn't um, thoroughly convincing, but it was good enough to uh, to enhance it um, without being distracting. If that makes sense. No, I, that's that, that, that. A lot of people have said it that it's it's fairly immersive, but mm-hmm. but doesn't usually go for the gimmicks that you often see in the three D movies. Yeah, it didn't have uh, like I remember um, what was it Beowulf, <laughs> um, which was laughable. Yeah, um, Beowulf. Uh, they did a lot of things like having um, arrows and rocks come and this, come off the screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I expect that kind of that, that those kind of tricks at yeah, like a Disney World theme park movie or something. And but yeah, yeah. you don't want to you know, have that be part of the 
be snooty all, all that, but cinematic language. <laughs> right. And I don't recall anything like like that. It was kind of cool because, you know, there were some instances where, um, like, there would be rain or maybe debris. And uh, it, was, it was actually kind of a cool effect because... Um, that, that that's uh, kind of where I remember it being more impressive because it actually did look like uh, there was more depth there. It actually looked pretty three D. Neat. So yeah, well, that'll that'll be. I'm looking forward to seeing it definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to close this one out. So uh, once again, anybody listening, drop Hello? drop us a line sometime. <laughs> Hello, anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Yeah, really. Well, <laughs> good night. Good night. Good night.